0: This is MSO News Sports. I'm Bill Newell, joined by Brian St. Pierre, head football coach at St. John's Prep. Hello, Brian. Welcome. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me on. And thanks for participating in our our little series here where we're trying to delve in here in the middle of the summer about high school football coaches, get some background on them. Uh, Usually when we talk, it's all about the team, the players, what's happening from moment to moment. But we're going to take a deep breath and take a little... Trip back memory lane with uh, Coach St. Pierre. So, Brian, let me have you uh, really begin. Uh, I'm guessing that you grew up as a tiny youngster with a football around you physically, right? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I mean, my first formative memories, really as a young child was on the sideline in Salem High and uh, St. John's Prep uh, with my father, who was the team doctor. So uh, that's kind of what I remember being around. I remember listening to you on WESX on the uh, scoreboard show. Um, (laughs) That's how far back I go. So it's it's always been a part of my life, high school football, football in general, and uh, I'm very thankful for that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So... I guess let's fast forward up to playing football. What do you where where would where did Brian hit the field first in so, in somewhat organized football? I guess maybe prior to high school, obviously.
1: Yeah, uh, 1989 for the Danvers uh, Pop Warner C team. Um, I was nine years old, and I actually had to petition my parents to let me play. I was played up on a 10 and 11 year old team because they needed a quarterback, and I had never played, and I actually played for my uncle, Ken St. Pierre, who played uh, at Danvers and played at Indiana. And um, we used to have to put some gravel and stuff in my thigh pads so I could make the weight you know, <laughs> a little undersized. And uh, that was my first formal foray into football, but I uh, wouldn't change it for anything.
0: Absolutely. Well, right now, I'd love to get rid of some gravel. Uh, and <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Absolutely. So, Brian, I'm we're fast forwarding through a lot of this, uh, but I, I want to jump to high school here. So, tell me about high school and and how that kind of came together for you, and and how you kind of what it, what it felt like and what you were expecting walking in your freshman year, if you will.
1: Yeah, um, like I said, I grew up on the Salem High sideline, but I lived in Danvers, so I knew I wasn't going to Salem High, and kind of came down to Danvers High and St. John's Prep. My dad was a St. John's Prep grad, so. I kind of knew that's where I wanted to play, and they played at the highest level and played all you know, the biggest teams and best teams. So I, I wanted that challenge and uh, was fortunate enough to join as a freshman and became the backup right out of training camp and then was pressed into starting duty, I want to say, the fourth week of the season maybe. I had played in the prior three or four games. Um, played significantly and then won the job and took the reins from there and Coach O'Leary was good enough to trust a 14-year-old freshman with his team and you know, the rest is history, I guess.
0: Yeah, and it comes full circle with you replacing Coach O'Leary as it turned out, right? Years down the line.
1: That's correct, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, he was my coach. You know, He had been there 30 years. I think he had probably been there 10 years prior to me getting there as a player and a student, so um, he was already, you know, had cut his teeth and was a veteran coach. And, um, you know, I was a new guy coming in and just trying to learn it. And they had Rob Conrad, who went on to play in the NFL, Syracuse and in the NFL. He was our starting running back. Um, you know, it was a huge learning curve for me, huge uh, jump up, uh, obviously. But uh, I had a lot of help, support. John Barbati who was a... Legendary Watertown head coach um, in the 70s and 80s. Joined our staff as the quarterback coach at the time. And he spent a ton of time with me and was really, really patient, but was really hard on me to push me in, in all the good ways. And i am always, always be indebted to him for um, his patience and his um, ability to teach me how to just kind of be a leader in the huddle and, and command the position.
0: Were you a part of that prep team that played Brockton. I think the first matchup you guys were hosting them a long time ago. I, I'm thinking that's before your time. Does that sound right? It was. Yeah, yeah
1: I was on that sideline watching it that day, and that kind of solidified my desire to want to play for St. John's Prep when they beat Brockton that day in 1991, actually. Um, I was just a little guy still, but um, remember it well. And it was such a huge win, and um, we had a lot of great battles with Brockton through the years that I was a part of both as a player and then as a little bit as a coach at the beginning of my career.
0: I think I can tell this story very quickly, but uh, you probably know it, but uh, Jim O'Leary told me once that uh, uh, that he met with Colombo like, in the old uh, prep uh, gymnasium there prior to the game and say, hey, what if we have a tiebreaker? What, what formula should we use? And uh, Colombo kind of smirked or chuckled or something like that and thinking, there's not going to be a tiebreaker here <laughs> in this game. And uh, sure enough, there you go. The prep wins. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a great memory, and you know, I remember him telling us that story as well. And, you know, I think there were some things leading up to it too, um, <laughs> from the Brockton side, and that's all good. All yeah. good, uh, good uh, it's a challenge. It's what you want to do. So I, I think that that was part and parcel for what you wanted to expect when you went to St. John's Prep. You want to play the best. And you want to be in those situations.
0: You mentioned Rob Conrad, uh, and and drop a few other names of uh, of, of prep players uh, that you kind of uh, maybe stay in touch with, or you know you kind of really remember from from your years at, as a player.
1: Yeah, uh, Rob certainly sticks out because I was a freshman. And he was, you know, going to Syracuse. He was, you know, the biggest recruit around, and he's such a large guy anyway, physically. It's like. You'd look at him and you're like, holy cow, How's he in high school type of deal? <laughs> um, but I played with great players throughout. Um, Wayne Lucier, who was my left guard, went on to play at Colorado and had a couple of years in, in the NFL with the Giants. Zach Magliaro was my left tackle, went to UMaine, started for four years, had a great career up there. Um, my brother Andrew um, had a great career at St. John's, played two years of football at Harvard. Uh, Brian Lentz was a really good running back for us and played baseball at Harvard I believe Um, so we had some really good players guys I still in contact with and uh, I think they're actually the school is going to honor that 97 my senior year that team that ended um, ranked in the country I think they're putting us in the Hall of Fame this fall in October so it'll be nice to see those guys
0: oh great great information well, now I want you to take us to uh, you entering Boston College to play football. So, what? What? Give us those feelings. I mean, think about the feelings you had at this moment uh, in you know the summertime, July, August, prior to uh, starting at BC. What? What was going through your head?
1: Oh, I was nervous. You know, I got to BC and and I realized. I didn't know anything about passing offense, really, because in high school we were we were a running team. We threw the ball on third down if we had to, basically. And I ran option, and um, you know that's just the way it was for a lot of teams back then. It's no nobody's fault. It's just how we were coached and how teams were run. Everybody ran the ball, and um, we didn't throw it a ton. Maybe my senior year we threw it a bunch, but then we'd be up by so much we'd be out of games at halftime. So. Um, I went to B.C. and I didn't know anything about passing offense. So it was a huge um, learning curve for me that way. Um, you know, I redshirted my freshman year. Remember it well, though. I needed to put on weight. I graduated probably at 6'4 and 180 pounds from St. John's. So that's pretty light light in the pants going to uh, Division one college football, major college football. So I had to put on some weight and get ready to play the following year, which I did. Um, and every year successively, I got more and more comfortable. Um, but it was definitely a huge step up the start.
0: The um, the well, quick question: So, what did you weigh at the at the very end? I'm figuring you were still about six four at the when you graduated.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I graduated a shade under two thirty.
0: Nice. Okay, you know the other thing too. I, you know, walking out onto the field. Uh, for Boston College, a Big East team at the at the time, um, mm-hmm. what, what I mean, you're all your all the uh, opposing players, your teammates are all just uh, notches above what you might have seen at the high school level, right?
1: Oh yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, back then we we're playing Virginia Tech at the time; it was top ten every year. You're playing Notre Dame every year; is usually in the top 20. Miami, who is top five every year. West Virginia was always very good, and the top 25 pit was always very good. So the schedule was really, um, it was quite an undertaking. You're playing really good people, and you knew it, but that was part of why you wanted to do it. Um, you know, and I was fortunate there. We had really good leadership with Tom O'Brien as the head coach. And they were coming out of a pretty dark time at B.C. at the time when I signed on. And I think my true freshman year, we went 5-7, and seven. and from then on we won 7, 8, 9 games a year and top 25 and winning bowl games. So we're a big part of the turnaround, and um, it was a great experience for me, for sure.
0: Can you drop a name or two from your BC team teammates?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, Will Green is probably the most well-known. He was a running back for us, All-American. He got drafted by the Browns in the first round. Played a couple years with them. Uh, Dan Copin, who was my center and my roommate, played for the Patriots for about eight, nine years part of some of their first Super Bowl teams. Uh, Mark Colombo was a left tackle who played 10 years in the league with the Cowboys. Uh, Chris Snee, great lineman for the Giants. Uh, he was my left guard. Um, Jamal Burke was one of our best receivers. He was a Brockton kid who I actually played against in high school. Um, we graduated together. So we had some really good players, um, really tough. We were tough group we're a blue collar group that's how we were coached that's how we were brought up through that program that's how we had to win games we had to be physical and be tougher than the teams we played and for the most part we were and we had a lot of success i think my senior class actually i know it we tied doug flutie's senior class for the most wins in a four-year uh, span in bc history so it was quite an accomplishment coming from where we were when we showed up on campus as true freshmen
0: Absolutely. Well, again, great information. Uh, This sounds like a trite question, but I don't think it really is. But what was a signature game for you at Boston College? And it might be a couple of them, but what what game stands out? Oh, boy. I think
1: two come to mind. One was a loss, uh, coincidentally enough. The 2001 Miami Hurricanes, who is probably, Hmm. well, it's not probably, they are the best college football team of all time. Uh, Their entire defense, except for one guy, went in the first round. Um, Their three running backs at the time were um, Clinton Portis was the starter, Willis McGahee was the backup, and the third string guy was Frank Gore. Um, They were the University of the NFL Hall of Fame. (laughs) (laughs) And we we had them beat. We played uh, an incredibly tough game, unfortunately. We were driving to win the game, and I threw an interception late. It was kind of a fluky play. Bounced off my guy, up in the air, and their defensive tackle ended up catching it, intercepting it, and then Ed Reed took it from him and ran to the house. And uh, we lost a a game that we really could have won against a team that we had no business. Nobody had any business beating. Um, I got Chevrolet play of the game in that game in a losing effort, which is pretty rare. Um, so that definitely sticks out to me. It's a tough memory, but it was such a great game with such a great atmosphere. And then probably my last game, the bowl game in Detroit against Toledo, because it was my last. Um, and I had a great game, and we had a, it was our ninth win and we ended the year in the top 25. It was just a great way to finish. Um, I had a really big game, and it was just a great way to go out with my classmates and, and capping off a great four-year run.
0: Now, being a college player, you couldn't have gotten a Chevrolet out of that deal, right?
1: No, I don't <laughs> even think I got a dime.
0: <laughs> I got a plaque, I know that. No, I know, that's all you a can plaque. get. That's all you get, a trophy yeah. or a plaque, I guess, yeah, really. Yeah, you yeah. got
1: a plaque, but that meant a lot to me because my dad had gotten Chevrolet Player of the Game at Harvard. Um, his claim to fame was always Keith Jackson did his game against Cornell, and he got named Chevrolet Player of the Game, so. I had to one-up him, but he won his game. I lost mine.
0: <laughs> well, no, that's nice. The, again, fantastic connections. All right, so now you've completed your Boston College career, and you're waiting for the NFL draft. Now tell us what's going. what are you hearing and what's going through your head, and tell us how that all played out.
1: Yeah, it was a crazy time in my life. We end the year with our bowl game right before New Year's, and then I get right on a plane. I hire an agent who I met once in my life. I hire an agent. He puts me on a plane to Louisiana, the middle of Louisiana, Covington, Louisiana, to train with some guy I've never met with in my life, with about six or seven other college guys who were bound for the NFL. And I was there from January third to about the end of February. Flew to the combine, did the combine, flew back down to Louisiana for a couple more weeks, and then flew back home for my pro days. Um, It was a blur from the end of December till about the draft day of the end of April. And it was, I was on planes getting worked out by teams. I think I spent more time in an MRI machine than I ever want to even think about um, between the combines and teams checking you out and making sure any injury history you have, they don't have any issues with it. So um, it was not a pleasant process. It was something I dreamed about and wanted to do, but it was difficult. And it was a lot on, it's a lot on the person.
0: Now, it, it, a lot of that is evaluation, as you're noting, but did you physically, I mean, was that something you were getting stronger uh, during all of this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I came out of, I was pretty strong towards the end of my college career, but, you know, in the season, you get worn down a little bit. So it helped me to get my weight back up a little bit, because I would always do some weight during the season, which is not uncommon. Gotcha. Um, some guys put it on, some guys lose it. I would lose it. I wish I could do that now but, you know, but uh, <laughs> it helped me to get stronger for the combine and for my pro days, which is important but it wasn't anything it wasn't even cutting edge that I hadn't done before. It's just this is what my agent did. he sent his draft eligible guys that he thought were going to get drafted to this guy because he was the guru and he was good. it was fine, but living in the middle of the swamp in Louisiana wasn't exactly my Cup of tea, I guess, but uh, I guess I just thought that it was necessary at the time, so I had to do it.
0: All right, so now it's draft day. So, and what are you hearing prior to the draft? And then tell us how the draft night, if you will, or day played out.
1: Yeah, it was crazy. I, all along, I was kind of slotted as the, the number six to number eight quarterback ranking, which could go anywhere from late round two, early round three, to like round five, round six, depending on team needs and who has picks where. So I heard from the Dolphins in round three, and they basically called me and say, we're going to take you. Are you healthy? They call you because they want to know that you're alive and everything's good before they actually do the pick. And as I'm on the phone, the guy goes, whoops, I think we just traded the pick. Hold on. And so I'm holding on. He goes, yep, we just traded the pick. Sorry, we're going to try and scoop you up later. <laughs> Great, you know, I mean, you're waiting all day, and it's like it's hard enough because you're like, where am I going to be? Am I going to get drafted? If so, where? What's the situation going to be? It's a ton of stress, and then they get that call, and you think it's happening, and then he's like, "What? Well, we just traded the pick." So I think they traded it to the Redskins or something at the time. The Commanders now, but, <laughs> um, you know. So then I had to. Back in those days, it was a two-day draft. So the first three rounds was day one, and then. Rounds four through seven was day two, so I had to sleep on that and then wake up on Sunday, day two, wondering what the heck's going to happen next. And Fortunately for me, I got the call from Pittsburgh in round five and um, was very, very relieved, happy, but more so relieved than anything um, that I fulfilled you know, one of my dreams.
0: Physically, where were you those two days, the Saturday and Sunday of the draft, at home or somewhere else?
1: Yeah, I was at home in my basement. I wouldn't let my parents throw a party on day one because I was like, that's probably, you know, if it happened, great, but I'm probably going to go day two. And then my mom was like, well, I want to have some people over on day two. I go, you can have them, but I'll be downstairs. And I just went in my basement and locked myself in. And, um, that's just how I chose to do I just didn't really want to be around a lot of people asking me questions. And once it happened, then I went upstairs and, Try to act a little more civilized.
0: <laughs> what, what did the, Brian? What did the, What did, What did they have for food there? What was the spread like at the place? I, I, I don't even remember. I didn't
1: try <laughs> taking it. It was all gone by the time I got up. There. <laughs> <laughs>
0: all right, I'll and I'll try to streamline this t- uh, too, Brian, for you here. Um, but I, man, I'm I'm impressed with this information you're sharing with us here. But tell us, you know, just give us a note or two from from your play playing time with Pittsburgh.
1: Yeah, it was so I came in as a rookie, and at the time it was Tommy Maddox who had a career revival, um, and then Charlie Batch, who was a former first-round pick of the Lions, who was actually a Pittsburgh kid, and then me. And then we didn't have a very good year. We went six and ten, and you know I didn't play at all. I was just a rookie third-string guy. And then fast forward to April, and they draft Ben Roethlisberger with the tenth or eleventh pick, which basically cemented my status as you don't have a future here as a starter at all. So that was re- really, really difficult for me. I just played one year, and I wasn't really given a chance to do anything because, you know, I was young, fifth-round pick, and you kind of give those people time to develop. I made the team, which was big. A lot of guys that get drafted don't even make the team. So. But then a year later, they basically draft the their parents to start for the next 10, 12 years, which you did, or more probably 15 was the first ballot Hall of Famer so that changed the trajectory of my career and from that point on not that I didn't my first year but I had to fight my tail off to make every roster I was on and I was fortunate enough to do it for almost a decade but it's a lot of heartache and a lot of difficult situations throughout that process for me and I don't think anyone dreams of being a backup quarterback you dream of being the guy but when you look back on, it, I'm proud of the grind and how hard I worked, and to do it as long as I did. And at the end of the day, football was very, very good to my family, so I, I really don't have any complaints.
0: You know, it's funny as um, as 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 accomplished as you were, even it. You know, as the situations that you described, there obviously must have been some down times for you, a feeling down. I'm talking about.
1: Oh, it was it was a roller coaster, more downs than ups. Um, God bless my wife. You know, I got married my second year in the league. So she was with me through all of it. And, um, you know, people don't realize all the moves you got. Like, my third year in the league, Pittsburgh kind of released me with a wink, wink, nod, nod that they were going to bring me back a week later. But it was a roster adjustment, they called it. And Baltimore just swooped in and picked me up because I was on waivers and... That was the way it worked. When you're on waivers, every team in the league gets a chance to scoop you if they want you, and Baltimore scooped me up. So I got a call from my agent, you got to go to Baltimore. So my wife has to stay behind in Pittsburgh and pack up our Pittsburgh place and then join me in Baltimore when she can. Like She had to deal with so much stuff. And I think that's the unseen part of... The, the unglamorous part of NFL football. Um, it's a lot on the families. And it's a big part of why I decided to coach high school football and not coach at the upper levels.
0: All right. Well, man, you're leading me right into where I want to go here, uh, Brian. And that would be, how tell us the steps that led you to coach at St. John's Prep.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I always knew that, I couldn't picture myself not having football in my life one way or the other once I was done. Um, it wasn't my choice to retire. In fact, I've never officially retired. I got retired. <laughs> they, take the, they take the football away and say, you're done. Nobody else wants you anymore. But I did it as long as I could, and I would have kept doing it as long as I could. Um, once I was done, it was a two-year period where I'm like, I don't know what to, I want to do. And I had a two-year-old and a newborn. Um, and my wife, and here I am, 32 years old with a lot of life left and no idea what I want to do with it. Um, so I did some broadcasting stuff around here locally, um, did radio for BC football for two years, kind of did the, um, worked the rounds, seeing if that was a potential for me to kind of go that route and, and try to do, like, analyst football stuff, and I hated it. I hated being, I did a radio show for WEI a couple weekends in a row, basically for four hours. They wanted me to trash Tim Tebow because he was playing the Patriots that week in the playoffs, and it just was not natural to me. I I didn't feel good doing it. Um, So I knew that that was not going to be the route I wanted to go. So then I did BC football just as an analyst, and I was on the sideline for the games, and I would do that. And being that close to the action but not really a part of it, It was almost as worse as the EEI stuff that I was doing. So I knew I had to be in the game. And coaching is the only way you can be in the game once you're done playing and you're too old. So I knew I wanted to coach. And I played long enough in the league that financially I could make it work at high school level. And St. John's have been asking me for years if I'd be interested and i kind of always put them off because coach O'Leary was my coach and he wasn't ready to be done yet and so i didn't want to get in the way of that And then i finally got to the point where he was winding down and they were basically like we're gonna make a move and we want to be you but we gotta know and i said yeah i'm gonna do it because it's the only place i could really do it um at that level because it's bigger there in my opinion It's, it's a big job it's a huge job it's a uh, high profile job for high school, and it's a place that i that I love and I have a lot of feelings for. So it all just kind of made sense. All
0: right, I'm gonna uh, try to cut to the chase and uh, you know to just fire off a couple more questions here as a as a high school coach, um, are, are, the what let me ask you that I mean coaches evolve, times change. Are you the coach that you thought you might have been, you know, 20 years ago, the high school coach or or is this job a lot different than the way you kind of pictured it?
1: I never pictured it. Yeah. That's It's a great question and I never pictured it. I took the job and I remember a couple people being like, "Well, he's not ready. You know, he's never coached." And when I heard that, like in my mind I'm like, "You have no idea how ready I am to do this. I've been doing this my whole life." And I was ready. The part that I've grown so much in in terms of a coach is um, understanding that it can't always be done the way you want the level you want it all the time right away. You know, and I think that I'm fortunate at St John's we have kids that are very bright, that work hard, football's important to them for the most part and they work really hard to apply what you're trying to teach. But early in my career, I was like, you know, I would have not outwardly to the kids, but inwardly to myself, like, why can't I get these kids to get to the level I want them to be at? And my wife would be like, because a lot of them are not going to play
0: at the level that you did.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it, it it sounds simple, but it was like, yeah, no kidding. It's, that's right. So I had to adjust my expectations in terms of, how much I expected from the kids in terms of applying what I wanted done on the field without compromising the tenets of my football program that were non-negotiables for me in terms of treating kids the right way, developing players, making them better football players, and making sure they're doing what they're supposed to in the classroom, in the community, that football's it's more than just football. It's a bigger, this is more, it's bigger than that. You know, and that's always, I've always felt strongly about that. And I'm comfortable with that part of it. But early on, it was like, I want these kids to play better. I want more production here. I want this kid to understand that. And it would be very hard for me. And even with some of my staff, you know, they had coached high school football. But, I, you know, I'm coming from a, a different level and trying to implement some things, not a ton, but some things that we did at the NFL level, and their had to spin them. So I had to slow it down a little bit, and that's understandable. But um, we still operate an NFL offense. Our schedule is based off an NFL practice schedule. We don't have a meeting time with the kids that you do at the NFL or college level, but it's very much an NFL schedule on the field when we practice. And our install is what we did with Pittsburgh and what a little bit of what I did at BC. So the kids are getting it. Um, I think I just wanted it to happen faster. But we're there now.
0: All right, coming down to the end here, but if there was an accomplishment you know, that you've had at St. John's Prep, I mean, obviously Super Bowl wins are part of the accomplishment, but there's also the day-to-day. There's the player-coach interactions, coaching staff interactions, and uh, there's big-picture things, little things. But if I were to ask you, what – when you look at accomplishment, so that's taking something that might not have been there that is there now. What do you, what can you pull out, or what's a Brian St Pierre accomplishment at the prep, Oof. or 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 a couple? You know what I'm saying? Uh, Does yeah?
1: I, I don't know that it wasn't it wasn't there before I was became coach, but I I know the most important aspect of coaching there, and what I want my players to leave with is that. Football was a great experience for them at St. John's prep and that they knew that I cared about them a lot. And judging by how much I hear from former players, how much, um, feedback you get from former players, their presence on campus, coming back to games, those relationships to me are my biggest accomplishment because you want to impact kids in a positive way. Um, that's at the end of the day, that's the most important part. You want to teach them some values and still values and toughness and mental toughness and grit and all that good stuff, but you also want them to enjoy the experience and look favorably upon their experience at St. John's Prep, and I think we've accomplished that, and I think that's what I'm most proud of. Um, those kids, I still follow those guys. Those guys still come back to campus, and there's a relationship there, and it's real, and it's genuine, and um, that's what I'm most proud of.
0: Yeah, and that's a true accomplishment, absolutely. And um, Brian, I'm leaving you with this question. Feel free to add on anything I didn't ask you about that you want to share, but I can't imagine. But anyways, um, Brian, here you go. This is this is just a kind of a quick question here. Football. Coach, you're busy off season, which it is now, but approaching the season and the practice schedule. But what right now for Saint for you and Saint John's Prep Football, what is top of mind right now? What today what what were you thinking about the the thing that you needed to do or were concerned about immediately for Saint John's Prep Football?
1: Can we break the huddle with eleven and Function, offensively, defensively, and special teams. <laughs> so we find 11 guys that can do it. Uh, cause you start, But that's one of the pieces that I love most about what I do is building that team, starting over every year because you really do. And um, I love that part of my job, creating a team and going through the process and living that process and all the ups and downs that come with it. And we put a lot of effort into it um, as a staff and as, as a, a team. And the players and staff, and um, that's the best part about it. Everyone wants, to, everyone loves Friday night or Saturday afternoon games. It's the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday grind, uh, the relationships that you build and the things you go through, the trials and tribulations and the successes and the failures. And that's what I love about it, and uh, that's what I think about all the time. How are we going to get this? How are we going to replace this guy? How are we going to beat this team? How are we going to line up to this this year? I, I, I never stop. That happens all year. But this time of year, I start getting especially itchy and thinking about it. And it's really broad. It's the full scope. It's everything. Um, I just got my freshman team a, a third scrimmage, which I'm really happy about. I got that yesterday. They haven't had three scrimmages since I've been here, so they get a third one. It's going to help their development, so it's really wide-ranging and and full scope of the program.
0: You know, the way you describe it, a lot of us, as reporters, we're familiar with the team that goes out on the field on Friday night, as you say. Uh, We're... We may be familiar with the changes being made during the course of the year, but for the starting point, those ingredients that are right now raw, kind of unput together like a like a chef might do, uh, you know, in the kitchen or something rather, the way you describe it, it kind of reminds me of that. That is the work. That is the real work that takes place now and will take place, you know, to the end of August and so on. And it's been taking place, quite frankly, I'm sure, for you for, for months now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah.
1: It really is. It's a great way of putting it. It is. You got a bunch of ingredients, and you got a recipe that you think works, but you got to see how they all fit. um, But that is the part of this job that I love the most. I love the competition. Uh, Don't get me wrong. You'll never meet somebody more competitive than me. But I, I truly love the day to day interaction with the kids and growing and. You're not going to win a Super Bowl every year. We've been fortunate. We've won quite a bit lately, and it's great, and we all enjoy it, and we're proud of it, but that's over. There's no rearview mirrors in our program. You know, We're always looking to build the next team. This is Team 117 in St. John's Prep's history, and we're going to try and make it the best that they can be, the best Team 117 that they can be. And I really get energized by that part of it, and that's what keeps me going.
0: Well, Brian, usually we thank you for all of your insights on, uh, sharing information about the team and so on. And and today, certainly, uh, thank you for sharing Brian St. Pierre with us a little bit more and a little bit deeper. So thanks so much for all of your time and the sharing today. Well,
1: I appreciate the platform, though. I appreciate all you guys do for high school athletics and our program specifically. And, uh, it's really good work and it's great how much you highlight the kids and the teams because that's where it should be. And, uh... They're very, very very fortunate to have you guys doing that. So thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you. Brian St. Pierre, head football coach, and so much more from St. John's Prep here with us on MSONewsports.com.